This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. And right now, that is college basketball. We are in the middle of February, and things are heating up. No football this week. This is going to be an all-basketball episode today as we head into a big weekend. As always, I want to start with a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. If you like the show, if you like what we're doing, I'd love if you subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and share it with a friend. It would help us a lot. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where you can follow my picks and all my various musings throughout the rest of the college basketball season. I have a great show planned for you today. We're going to go back to the future. We're going to talk about a big weekend ahead. I'm going to give you some, some of my thoughts around scheduling and how college basketball can maybe do better there. But first, I'm going to tell you why I went to sleep mad on Wednesday night. And boy, was I mad. I was irritated. I was grumpy. I was sitting there thinking about Wednesday night's games. And the game that I was thinking about the most was Tennessee's win over Alabama. And I'm not mad because one of the picks I gave out on Wednesday night was a teaser involving Alabama where I said, tease Alabama up to seven and a half, tease Marquette down to minus a half point, and get yourself some even odds on those two games. No, I'm not mad about that. That's not what I'm mad about at all. I'm mad that a couple weeks ago, I was sitting here on this podcast before Brian even had a baby. We're sitting here, and I said, I like Tennessee better than Alabama in the SEC because they're the best defensive team out there. They can make life hard on you. And I trust a team that plays defense more than I do a high-powered offense. And then what did Tennessee do? Well, we talked about it a lot last week. They went out and made me look bad for a couple games in a row. They lost back-to-back buzzer beaters. And in those two games, those back-to-back buzzer beater losses to Vanderbilt and Missouri, their defense didn't look that great. From an efficiency perspective, a couple of the worst performances of the season for the Tennessee defense, giving up 1.19 points per possession against Missouri, rounded up to 1.2. And, uh, you know, just a really, that's a really poor effort. If you look at BartTorvik.com, one of my favorite websites, that puts them squarely in the red category. If you look at most of their other games, in fact, if you look at Every other game Tennessee played this year, they had not allowed a team to go over a point per possession or 100 points per 100 possessions. That's the way Torvik lays it out on his website until that Vanderbilt game. And then again, they did it again, allowed Missouri to go over in that game. So two of their worst defensive defensive efforts of the season came and I said, you know what? I just can't trust this Tennessee team right now. They are not doing the things they needed to do to win. We talked about how thin the margins are. And I thought maybe this defense isn't something they can keep up all year. Lo and behold, without a couple starters, they host the number one team in the country in Alabama. And boy, did they stifle the Crimson Tide defensively. Alabama last night against Tennessee made eight shots inside the arc. 
They were 8 for 24 from inside the arc. They actually shot really well from deep, 9 to 24, almost 38%. I thought if Alabama was going to lose a game, it would be because they went unbelievably ice cold from three. That didn't happen last night. But what did happen, Tennessee made them turn the ball over a lot. 19 turnovers. That's a turnover on nearly 28% of Alabama's possession. And Tennessee, once again, looked like the most physical, most dominant defensive team in the country. And now my question with Tennessee is, can you do this again night in and night out? Because to me, playing good defense comes down to three things. Look, you got to have the body for it. When it comes to defense, being quick, being big, being strong, it's so important. It's, it, you know, it's just requisite. you got to check that box. And Tennessee does check those boxes for the most part. Then once you have that, communication is a key. Communication is always going to be a key to great defense. But then the third thing with defense, it's a want-to thing. It's do you are you willing to do all the things you have to do that aren't always the most fun to play great defense? And I think communication is a part of that. It's always fun to communicate, to be calling out the screens, to you know make the proper rotations to play within a system, but playing defense, great defense also requires you to be really physical. And Tennessee was really physical with Alabama last night. They were giving up almost no space, and it led to those 19 turnovers, and that's why I went to sleep so mad last night. Because I said, I knew Tennessee had this in them. I was sitting here weeks ago saying, Tennessee is the defensive team in this conference. I trust them more. I'm going to bet on them at 2-1 to one to win the conference. I don't need this razzle-dazzle. I trust this lockdown defense more. Although Alabama's a ton of fun to watch, give me the good defensive team every day of the week. Now Tennessee's sitting here with four losses in conference. Imagine if they had beaten Vanderbilt and Missouri, if they had gone into last night's game 8-2 and two, instead of 8-4, and four, we could be sitting here today with Alabama at 12 and 1 in the conference, Alabama at 11 and 2. It would be a tight conference race right now. But instead, still seems like Alabama's going to run away with this conference, and Tennessee now has to figure out can we get back to doing this every night? You know, it's really easy to step your game up and do those things on defense that I talked about, the things where, you know, requires communication, requires physicality, requires that want to. It's easy to do that against the number one team in the country at home. But can you get back to doing it every night and do it against the Missouris of the world, the Vanderbilts of the world, the Floridas of the world, the Kentuckys of the world. Now, it should be easy to get up for Kentucky, but this is not a good Kentucky team. It's a Kentucky team that already beat Tennessee once this year, and it's a desperate Kentucky team, and Tennessee goes on the road to take on Kentucky on Saturday. So I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm angry today because Tennessee showed me that they have that defense in them. They have that ability to just lock down a team and they just, we saw it. We saw it earlier in the season. It went away, and now it's back. And uh, Kentucky's got to, or Tennessee, rather, has got to figure out if that's going to be their identity, can they commit to doing that all season? I'm not ready to get back on that 
Tennessee bandwagon quite yet. I need to see consistency. We talked about how razor thin these margins are in college basketball right now. I talked about that on the last show. And uh, Tennessee is not focused like they were for this huge game against Alabama night in and night out. Then I, then I can't trust them the rest of the season. But nevertheless, it was a good win for Tennessee. It was a great win for Tennessee. Um, I think it said more to me about Tennessee and what they're capable of doing on a night-in-and-night-out basis than it did anything about Alabama. To me, Alabama did nothing in that game to make me say, this isn't still number one seed. Uh, the turnovers, no doubt, are concerning. You saw it earlier in the season against Gonzaga when they lost to the Bulldogs. They had a lot of turnovers in that game as well. 21 turnovers in that game, 25% of their possessions, Alabama um, turned the ball over in that game. So the turnovers are seem to be their Achilles heel, much like Purdue. Turnovers are an Achilles heel for them right now. I mean, there's nobody in this country without some weakness. And for Alabama, it certainly does seem to be the turnovers if they played. I'd like to see these teams play again in an SEC tournament, maybe an SEC final, SEC semifinal, depending on where, you know, how the conference shakes out, how things finish. I think, uh, in all likelihood, Tennessee is going to get that two or three seed. Alabama is going to win the conference. So it would really probably be the final. So I'd like to see that in the final. I'd like to see, can Tennessee do that to Alabama again? But more importantly, can they continue down the stretch run of this season do, playing that type of defense Every night. They have five regular season games left, and I want to see them do that every night. I think Tennessee has lost their chance at a one seed at this point. I think that that Vandy loss is a loss you cannot take if you want to, to get a number one seed. They are still number three in the net rankings but they have a three and four record against quad two teams. The other contenders for the one seeds, Houston seven and zero against quad two, Alabama six and zero against quad two, Purdue four and zero, UCLA seven and zero, Kansas four and zero, Texas two and zero, Baylor four and zero. Of those teams, uh, not not a lot of bad losses in that group. Now I should say Tennessee is six and two against quad one opponents. Where Alabama seven and four, so you know better winning percentage there than than Alabama, uh, much better winning percentage than UCLA, who's four and four. So there's a case to be made, certainly. If they can go, I think they would have to win out. All right, now let me amend what I said. Maybe they're not dead for the one seed, but I think they would have to win out and win the SEC tournament to justify them getting a number one seed over Alabama or in addition to Alabama. So we will see with Tennessee rest the rest of the season, but that is why I went to bed angry last night, irritated last night. But some good did come out of it. I had some trouble sleeping last night. Woke up, middle of the night, couldn't go back to sleep. Man, it wasn't, wasn't that Tennessee game, I don't think. I don't think I was... You know, I woke up. I did think about it a little bit, but I don't know. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, mind races, can't go back to sleep, whatever the case may be. That's what it was for me last night. So I said, you know, let's, let's do something productive. Let's think about college hoops. What's more productive than thinking about college hoops? And look, if you're a college football fan,
fan, if you're an SEC football fan, you've been hearing a lot of talk the last week or so now that it's been made official that Oklahoma and Texas will join the SEC for the 2024 football season about how they're going to do that conference schedule now that they're going to have 16 teams. And it got me thinking about college basketball scheduling and the opportunities that I feel like we leave on the table with college basketball. And I started thinking about this because, you know, it, this is the weekend, first weekend after the Super Bowl, the first weekend without any real football at all. Yeah, we had the one-week break between the conference championship games and Super Bowl Sunday, but I, I still feel like everybody's kind of in football mode still at that point anyway, coming off championship games, got the Super Bowl looking ahead. But I feel like this weekend, right at the Super Bowl, is the chance to really capitalize. You say, hey, football's over. We got this college basketball product here. We're in our stretch run. You love March Madness, but what about February? Let us tell you why February is so great. I feel like there's an opportunity to make a big deal about that. I also start thinking about you know, how to make a big deal of the sport earlier in the season. So what I kind of thought of at 2.33 in the morning, as I couldn't sleep last night, was what can college basketball do to better capture the audience at other times of the year, to remind them that college, college basketball is here and it's a good product. And I feel like so much of what makes football successful in America is really the scheduling. We get used to it. We get used to college footballs on Saturday, for the most part. The NFL's on Sunday, for the most part. But you know where to find it every week, right? You know exactly where to find your football. Saturdays and Sundays, you're going to get what you expect to get. And even more so, when you think about rivalries in college football, you know when those rivalries are played, again, for the most part. For the most part, they are played the Thursday of Thanksgiving Day, Friday after Thanksgiving, Saturday after Thanksgiving. Michigan, Ohio State, the game. Auburn, Alabama, the Iron Bowl. Those are games that are pretty synonymous with Thanksgiving weekend. And then you have a few others scattered throughout the year. You have the cocktail party, Florida, Georgia, and that's uh, generally early November there. You have the Red River shootout. It's typically in October. You got a few of them scattered. But for the most part, you know where to find those rivalry games. You know when they are. And with college basketball, we really don't do that. Yeah, Duke, North Carolina is typically one of their two meetings is the last game of the year, last game of the regular season, last weekend of the regular season. And that's good. But outside of that, I really don't know where to find a lot of the big college basketball rivalry games. And there's so many good rivalries in college basketball, both in conference and out of conference. And I think college basketball needs to emphasize that and let people know, hey, you want to see these rivalries? This is what makes college basketball special. This is what makes college basketball different than the NBA. Because let's be frank, the product on the floor in college basketball is never, ever, ever, ever going to compare to the NBA. The NBA contains the absolute best basketball players in the entire world. It's a higher level of skill, a higher level of athleticism. It's a higher level of basketball. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something special that college basketball provides to fans. It's just something different. 
And that's the rivalries. That's the passion of the fan bases. That's the student sections. And a college basketball needs to step into that and emphasize that. And I think the first way I would do that is after college football championship Saturday, this year it was on December 3rd, that following weekend, the only college football game is Army-Navy. That is the weekend where every big non-conference rivalry should be played. Everybody should know, okay, college football season, regular season is over. Next weekend, I get to see all the rivalries I love. Now, kudos, Kansas-Missouri, they played that day. Xavier-Cincinnati, they played that day. Georgetown and Syracuse, they played that day. Good start, really good start. But how about Louisville-Kentucky? I think that is one of the top three rivalries in the entire sport. They played on New Year's Eve. There's no reason for a college basketball game to be played on December 31st with all of the college football going on. Play that game the weekend after Championship Saturday. So everybody who loves sports knows, hey, that's the Louisville-Kentucky day. I'm tuning in for that. This year, there was no Crossroads Classic, which I always thought was a great event. It was Indiana, Purdue, Butler, and Notre Dame, four Indiana schools playing at the Pacers Arena and making it a big celebration of Indiana basketball. You know, one of a handful of states where college basketball is really, really important. They didn't have that this year. Bring that back. Put that on this new day. On right, We got to come up with a name for it. I got to come up with a name for this on the spot. Non-conference rivalry Saturday. That's a little too, too on the nose. Not too catchy there. We'll come up with something at some point. Kickoff rivalry, tip-off rivalry. I don't know. It's not there yet. I'm not there yet with it. But whatever it is, whatever we're calling it, those Indiana schools should be playing that day. I know I mentioned Georgetown and Syracuse played that day, and that's a great rivalry. But if they were not going to play that day, do a DMV tournament weekend. Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Do it as a tournament. Do games Friday and Saturday. You can't do it as a tournament because Virginia and Virginia Tech are both in the ACC. That's fine. Rotated every year. Maryland plays Georgetown. Then they play UVA. Then they play Virginia Tech. Three-year rotation. That would be awesome. That would be great. Play that at Verizon Center, which, as as Brian so eloquently noted a few weekends ago, I called it where the Wizards play, the Caps play. He said, oh, yeah, Georgetown plays there, too. They do. It's true. Nobody thinks about it like that. Put those kind of matchups there. An Ohio tournament. Xavier and Cincinnati. They played. Let's get Ohio State and Dayton. Let's make that a tournament. Wisconsin-Marquette, for whatever reason, Wisconsin and Marquette played the week before on championship Saturday. Imagine if Wisconsin had been in the Big Ten championship game. Who would have been tuning in to a Wisconsin-Marquette basketball game that day when the Badgers were playing in the Big Ten championship game? They weren't this year but they have many times in the past, that game should be on this day as well. And let's not forget some new rivalries. Put UCLA-Gonzaga that day. That would be a great rivalry. To me, when I actually think of West Coast rivalries, that is the West Coast rivalry that pops up in my head. I I think about that NCAA tournament game with Adam Morrison crying, losing to UCLA. I think about the Final Four from a couple years ago 
where they played that legendary Final Four game. Gonzaga looked like it was going to cruise to the Final Four or to the national championship game. UCLA said, not so fast. They played an epic game. Gonzaga came out on top. But to me, that's the best West Coast rivalry in all of college sports right now is Gonzaga and UCLA with UCLA or with UCLA and Arizona being a close second there. So give me that one on non-conference rivalry Saturday. Again, we're going to have to work on the name. It's not a perfect name yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. So that is what I would do early in the season. Remind people college basketball is here. College basketball is awesome. We have something special. And then once again, after the Super Bowl on this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, stack it with rivalries. Most of these rivalry games are played twice. Most of them are home and home, these in-conference rivalry games. So Duke, North Carolina, we had it a couple weeks ago. It should be this weekend right at the Super Bowl. Purdue, Indiana also had that one. Again, right at the Super Bowl. UCLA, Arizona. Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, not quite on that level, but still a rivalry in its own right, in its own state. You know, we do have... NC State, North Carolina this weekend. It's great, but it's not Duke, North Carolina. We have Baylor, Kansas this weekend. I'm definitely going to want to talk about a lot about that one in a second. That's awesome. We need more of that. Make this conference rivalry weekend, part one. Everybody should know. Okay, Super Bowl's over, but you know what? As part of my sports clock, as part of my sports calendar, I know that it's college basketball rivalry weekend coming up here. Let's go. Let's get pumped for that. Got to emphasize that. And then the easy thing to do again, end of the regular season, run those games back at the other site. Make it easy for your fans and potential fans to know this is when stuff happens. This is what our calendar looks like. Make it easy for your fans to find you and I think college basketball will benefit a lot from it. Okay, let's move back into reality. Let's move back into the 2022-2023 college basketball season. And we'll do a little back to the future right now. This will be real quick. No new future bets for me this week. I will give a quick update on some of my existing futures. ACC is where I'm looking the best right now. ACC did a unit and a half on UVA, a half unit on Pitt to win the conference. We got UVA at plus 160. Pitt at plus 1,200 or 12 to 1. UVA, now the heavy favorite, minus 175 to win the conference. So looking pretty good there. I do think Virginia is the best team in that conference. We did benefit immensely from a bad call in the Virginia Duke game that gave the Hoos a win. But, you know, we'll take it if you're on that side for, for betting purposes. But Virginia is still tied with Pitt atop the league. They're both 12 and 3 right now. Pitt. We got it 12 to 1. They're now down to plus 425 or 4.25 to 1. So ACC, things are looking pretty good there for how I played that one. Rest of the leagues, not so much. The SEC, I already talked about a lot. I got Tennessee at plus 200. They're now at plus 8,000. 8,000. 80 to 1. Not great. I also took AM, Texas AM, at plus 2,600. 26 to 1. You know what? That one's a little bit better. Down to 12 to 1. Uh, Alabama still the heavy favorite to win this league. Alabama just taking their first conference loss of the year. 
A&M a game back uh, at 11 and two, and A&M's been playing really well. They do have Alabama at home to end the season, but they got some tough games before that. If I have a chance to cash this out, I will cash it out. If that option comes up for me, I'll take it. I'm hoping it does. Maybe if they can get, so they got, A&M has Missouri on the road this weekend and then Tennessee at home next Tuesday. Maybe if they win those two, that cash out option might pop up. But you know what? If they do win those two, then I probably just got to let it ride. Because they have Mississippi State and Ole Miss on the road after that, before that Alabama game at home. So, you know what? At that long shot, 26-1, to 1, I'll probably just let it ride no matter what. You know, we kind of got a lottery ticket there. It's still alive. Not likely, but we'll still ride that lottery ticket. In the Big East, I got Providence, plus 1,400. It's now plus 1,900. Bad loss for the Friars to St. John's last week. But they then followed it up with a nice win over Creighton at home, a double overtime win over Creighton. That top of that Big East, still pretty compact. Marquette leading the league 13-3. and Creighton, Xavier, and Providence all right behind them, one game behind them in the loss column at 11-4. and So Providence is right there. Providence does not play Marquette again. Uh, they do play Xavier. They play Xavier at home. Realistically, they got five games left. They probably got to win out to have a chance here. You look at Marquette's schedule. Marquette, they got to go to Creighton next Tuesday. They don't play this weekend. So if you rode with me on the Friars, you're a big, big Creighton fan against Marquette next week because I think that's about their only chance to lose another game. They have DePaul at home, Butler on the road, St. John's at home. So got to have Creighton win if you want if we want to have any chance of the Friars there. Uh, the Big 12, I don't even want to go into this one. I said I put a half unit on Kansas State. They've lost two games since. They look terrible. They're now plus 7,500, 75 to 1. They went from 7.5 to 1 to 75 to 1 in a week. Uh, bad bet. Sometimes they are. And uh, that's, that's what I had there. Just a bad bet on my end. If I had to go back and do it over, and obviously hindsight is 2020. I, I would have gone with Baylor. I can't remember exactly what they were at the time, but Baylor looks great. They were in that in that group of teams, that lump of teams. They got a big win against West Virginia at home on Monday, and now they go on the road to take on Kansas in the fog over the weekend. Let's actually jump right into that game because that is one of the big games of the weekend and one of the games I want to talk about. To just finish up really quick our Back to the Future segment, a UCLA plus 1,500 to win the national championship bet I made a couple weeks ago. UCLA is still cruising along. They're now plus 1,200, not touching that ticket at all, uh, looking to see how it plays out. I think if they, they're in a decent shape to get a number one seed, so no, I'll continue to let that ride. If I can get a number one seed at 15 to 1 to win the national championship, I like that a lot. So we'll see how that one plays out. But let's get into the big matchup in the Big 12. Baylor and Kansas, the two teams that have really dominated in this league over the past couple years. And Sure enough, they are right there at the top of the league once again. Kansas nine and four, Texas nine and four, Baylor nine and four. A three-way tie at the top of the conference. Ken Palm projects each of them to go twelve and six, and we have a battle here not just for Big Twelve supremacy, the Big Twelve crown, but we're looking at seeding. We're looking at who can get 
a number one seed here. Kansas very much in play for the number one seed. Baylor, little more of an outside shot. Uh, Kansas sitting at seven in the net. Texas at nine. Baylor at 10. And, you know, I say a little bit more of an outside shot. And really the only thing separating them resume-wise, Kansas has an unbelievable number of quad one wins. Kansas is 12-5 and five against quad one opponents. Texas and Baylor both at 9-6 and six against quad one opponents. That's really the difference in their resumes right now is Kansas has just racked up an unreal number of wins against quad one opponents. However, I do think if one of those teams can win the league outright, that team will deserve a number one seed. I say unequivocally, whoever wins the Big 12 deserves a number one seed. Uh, if they win it outright, if it's a tie, you know, which is, is very likely for the league, I think it's going to come down more to the conference tournament. But I would hesitate, I would not hesitate at all to say if one of these teams outright wins this conference, they deserve a number one seed no matter what happens in the Big 12 tournament. If you go and play a full round robin against the best league in the country and you come out on top, you deserve a number one seed. That's it. Hands down, no further discussion necessary. And for Baylor, this is a huge chance to accomplish that. And a win here for Baylor would actually give them a season sweep on the year over Kansas, given that head-to-head tiebreaker. If Baylor and Kansas do finish the year tied alone at the top of the Big 12, it would give Baylor that number one overall seed in the Big 12 tournament. And when I think about this Baylor season, you know, I think it's really interesting. Whenever you think about Baylor, you think about offense. Always a great offensive team. Always a great offensive program. This year's no different. They, different. they have some great guards. Uh, Adam Flagler, Keontae George. George, a fantastic freshman who can really fill it up. Flagler, a senior. And this is a team that just lets it fly from deep. That's always kind of been Scott Drew's thing is, you know, he, he kind of lets his guys go offensively, lets it fly. They're shooting 36% as a team from deep. And as far as the percentage of three-point attempts out of total field goal attempts uh, for the team, they're 32nd in the country in that metric. Bottom line, they shoot a ton of threes. They make a ton of threes. And like any Baylor team, they're a really good offensive rebounding team. Now, what we weren't sure about with this Baylor team was how good their defense was and if their defense was going to be a limiting factor. And for a while, it really seemed like it was was going to be. It seemed like it was going to be something that held this team back to a significant uh, extent. If you look at some of their games back in early January, there's two games that really stand out in that early January stretch for Baylor. And one was against TCU. The other... Let's see, who was the other against? One was against TCU. The other was against Kansas State. And those were high-possession games where uh, Baylor lost back-to-back games. They lost to TCU 88-87. They lost to Kansas State 97-95 in overtime. And that was back on January 4th and January 7th. And you look at those games, really high-possession games, and... 
things changed for Baylor after that. You look at their win over Kansas just a few weeks later, that was only a 66-possession game. When you compare that to the Kansas State game, which did go to overtime, I'll grant you, that was a 79-possession game. So Baylor has really slowed things down, and I think it's been to their benefit to help cover up some of those flaws on the defensive side of the ball. If you look at their metrics for the season, Baylor, for the year, number one most efficient offense in the country, according to Bart Torvik, number 78th most efficient defense, according to Torvik, and the 181st fastest team per you know by tempo in the country. So kind of middle of the road there in terms of tempo. But if you isolate things to the last month or so, since January 19th, Still an outstanding offense. The number two most efficient offense. Defense, significantly better. Now 57th over that stretch. But the tempo, all the way down to 288th. One of the slowest teams in the country. And I think it's really been a a stylistic change from Scott Drew, who, you know, he's not Roy Williams. He's not Nate Oath. He doesn't usually run and gun like crazy, but he's usually a little bit more middle of the pack like they were early this year. And I think they've realized that's not something they're gonna be able they're gonna be able to do this year. And you know, I should say throughout the, over the years, Drew's kind of gone through sports where he's played really fast and he's played really slow. Over that whole stretch, the one constant is that their offense has always been efficient and always been consistent. When they've been elite, 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 they've had outstanding defenses too. But I think right now, they're kind of using that pace to cover up some of their weaknesses on defense. And, you know, sometimes when you have freshmen playing pivotal roles, like Keontae George is, I mean, one of their best players, if not the best player on the team. And he has had some unbelievable performances, a 23-point outburst against Oklahoma, 17 against Texas Tech, another 17 against Texas, 24 against Arkansas, an unbelievably talented dude. But oftentimes it is hard for freshmen to always focus on on defense. Uh, But I think they're doing a good job of managing around it right now. And I am super interested to see what they do going into the fog to take on Kansas. And for Kansas's part, you know, since dropping three straight in the middle of January, they lost to Kansas State, TCU, and Baylor. They lost those three in a row. They're, they've won five out of six since then, and three in a row, and, and they're looking pretty good. And, you know, for them, one of the things has been, is there anybody that's going to step up and help out Jalen Wilson? Because there needs to be more than Jalen Wilson. Well, Grady Dick is a guy who is stepping up right now. Again, a freshman. 26 points against Oklahoma State. 21 points in a win over Texas. He's a guy who has stepped up big time to help out with Jalen Wilson with the scoring. So the whole load is not on him. Kevin McCuller, another guy, an experienced guy who's been in the conference for a long time, a transfer from Texas Tech. He's a guy who's starting to score. Last three games, 15 against Oklahoma State, 
13 against Oklahoma, 16 against Texas. So this is a huge game. And I think this trio of Baylor, Texas, and Kansas is going to be a ton of fun to watch coming down the stretch here. My prediction, one of them will end up getting a number one seed. The other two will end up with number two seeds. If I had to go and and give it a guess right now, man, it's hard. It's really, really hard. I want to say Baylor. I, I do want to say Baylor is the team that will win this conference and, and end up getting uh number one seed. And I will. And I will. I'll go ahead and say it's Baylor. I'll say, you know, if Baylor does that and Kansas has only lost the rest of the way is to Baylor, they can go on the road, beat Texas to end the season. I think the Big 12 will have a, a very good chance of getting two number one seeds. But right now, I just like the way that Baylor seems to be coming into their own. They seem to be improving. Because that's what you got to, that's all you can ask for is that a team improves on its weaknesses throughout the season. And I think we've seen Baylor take a big step up uh, defensively. And, you know, whether that's managing managing it through playing at a, a little slower tempo, whatever the case may be, Baylor has done a good job of finding ways to be better defense, defensively, even as the competition level has ramped up. So I like Baylor. Give me Baylor coming into its own to win the conference and earn the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament and earn a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Okay, there's a couple other games I want to make sure we hit on before we get out of here today. Running a little short on time here, but a bunch of big games I want to at least make sure we touch on. We talked about Tennessee a lot to start the show. They go to Rupp to take on Kentucky for Ken Palm, Kentucky, is going to be about a four-point dog in this one. I just love that we have big games in Rupp and at the Fog on the same day. Love seeing games from those venues. Look, I've said what I had to say about Tennessee. My whole thing with Tennessee is, can they show that same focus defensively they showed against Alabama night in and night out? Kentucky is fighting for their NCAA tournament lives. What I'll say with Kentucky is the same thing I've said with Kentucky over and over and over again. Get Oscar Shibway. 15 shots or get out of here. I don't want to hear anything about this team until you show me Shibway is getting 15 shots a game. He got 12 the other night against Mississippi State. They got, they got the win there. It's good. He put up 18. Get him the ball. Make sure you are getting him the ball. It's the same thing with him and Hunter Dickinson at Mich- Michigan. Make sure your best player is, is getting the ball. Um, so I'll be watching, you know, that for Kentucky, Kentucky is in a real, there's a real possibility. Kentucky doesn't make the tournament and Kentucky would have nobody to blame, but themselves. If that's the case, this is a huge opportunity for them to get a big time quad one win at home. They're two and seven against quad one teams right now, Tennessee, number three, it would give them two wins over Tennessee on the season. The current number three team in the net rankings, give them a sweep and really boost their tournament resume. Get the ball to Sheepway. 
other games that I'm looking at over this weekend. I'm excited for in the Big Ten, Indiana host Illinois. I think these are the two teams in the Big Ten that most people see and think like, okay, outside of Purdue, they're the teams that could make the most noise in the NCAA tournament. Now, Northwestern would have something to say about that. Northwestern just took down Indiana on Wednesday night. Northwestern has also beaten Illinois this season. Northwestern sits alone in second place in the Big Ten as we speak. I still think there's more talent on Indiana. I still think there's more talent on Illinois. It's been so tough to win on the road in the Big Ten this year. Home teams are winning 66% of games. This game is uh, in Assembly Hall. Indiana has been a, a different team in Assembly Hall than they've been on the road. And Illinois has, has struggled at times on the road as well. They've lost nor- to Northwestern on the road, which I talked about. You know, lost to Maryland early in the season, which neither of those losses are losses to sneeze at. Both good teams, both going to be tournament teams. Uh, but Illinois, I think, wanted more and still wants more than to just be in that big lump of teams in the Big Ten. A good way to show that you're capable of more is going on the road to Indiana and beating them in Assembly Hall. I think these are two teams right now that when we look at seeding, when we think about seeding, I think their bracket matrix has Indiana as a five seed, and that's before losing to Northwestern last night. They have Illinois as a as a six seed. Big game for seeding purposes. I would honestly always tend to want to be on that six line rather than the four or five line so you can stay away from playing a one seed in the Sweet 16. It's counterintuitive. Kind of want to get the highest seed as possible, obviously. But, you know, if if all things else, all else being equal, that four or five game is so tough. And then your reward is playing a one seed in the Sweet 16. Uh, You really want to try to get up to that three line. I think these teams could get up to that three line if they go on a run. So for both of them, if they have aspirations of getting up to the three line, the time to do it is now. You got to start a run now. This will be an interesting one to watch for me. Uh, Indiana won in Champaign earlier this year. They won 80 to 65. Uh, That was about a month ago on January 19th. Trace Jackson Davis, a monster performance in that game, as he typically does have 35 points and nine rebounds. Can they find a way to neutralize him? Can anybody find a way to neutralize him? So that'll be a big one that I'm checking out in the Big Ten. And then on Sunday, I talked about Houston-Memphis on the show last week. Not going to go too deep into that one. I want to see that game. I want to see what Memphis has to, or Houston has to offer. Houston will likely now, following Alabama's loss, be the number one team in the country. Being the number one team in the country has been a bit of a curse this year, including for Houston itself, who suffered a loss as the number one team in the country. But they will probably take that mantle up again next Monday, unless they lose to Memphis at home on Sunday. So we will see about that one. Uh, But I really want to start figuring out what we can expect out of Houston in the tournament. And our best chance to figure that out is going to be these two games against Memphis. And then the other big game on Sunday I'm looking forward to is NC State against North Carolina. North Carolina, much like Kentucky, 
is very much in danger of missing the NCAA tournament. 16 and 10 on the year, number 45 in the net, and 0 and 8 against quad one opponents. Quite frankly, North Carolina has not shown any ability to beat high quality basketball teams and certainly not on the road. Just perusing their schedule here, their best road win, best road win, it's certainly not Louisville, and there's not very many to choose from here. There is two true road wins to choose from, Louisville or Syracuse. That's it. So it's got to be Syracuse of their two road wins. Uh, Not very impressive. They're going on the road to NC State, a team that they played and beat again uh, about a month ago. In that game, uh, Terquavion Smith for NC State left that game on a on a stretcher, and it kind of felt like it changed the game in in some ways. So he'll be back. Uh, he's you know been playing, and he's been one of their better players, the, the guy that they rely on a lot. Home game for NC State, uh, rivalry game, a game that, you know, both teams need. NC State, they're fighting for their tournament lives as well. NC State, if we look at where they're at in bracket matrix, they're a nine seed at the moment. They're fighting for, the, you know, that's not, it's not too far on the bubble. It's, it's easy to fall off quickly. And so this is a game that both teams really want to have to solidify their NCAA tournament chances. I'll be watching this one. You know, North Carolina, they lost at home to Miami on on Monday night. And they're, they're, they're a team now. They've lost four out of five games. They've lost four out of five games, and they got a win over, over against Clemson. Last weekend, seemed like they might be headed back in the right direction. But really, in the second half of that game against Miami, Miami turned them into a jump-shooting team. And that's not what North Carolina wants. So can they get to the basket? Can they find more ways to get Armando Baycott the ball, find him ways to get the ball in better positions? Against North Carolina, or against Miami, rather, Baycott was five five of six from the field and had 12 points. But he was five of five from inside the arc. Can they find ways to get him the ball in good positions in the paint and let him go to work uh, and not turn into a jump shooting team, which is what Miami did to them in the second half as Miami came away with the 80 to 72 win. I don't have a lot of faith in North Carolina in that game. I don't have a lot of faith in North Carolina on the road. NC State, a three-point favorite per Ken Palm. I will likely bet the Wolfpack if it's, uh, if it's around three points on Sunday. That's our show. A pleasure, as always, talking college hoops. There is nothing better this time of year looking at brackets, looking at the bubble, looking at the big games. The only thing better would be if college basketball took my opinion and played all these big rivalry games on this weekend. Round one of conference rivalry rotation should be the weekend after the Super Bowl. I'm going to ride that horse hard. I'm going to come up with a few nicknames for these rivalry weekends, rivalry. Nicknames are important. Branding is important. But it was a pleasure, as always, talking to you all. I will talk to you again to recap the weekend. Enjoy the games this weekend. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.